Hello, and welcome to the Better People Podcast. I am joined today by Jenny Malseed, who is the VP of Strategy and Talent at Global Giving, um, right outside of DC. Um, welcome, and thank you for joining us, Jenny. Hi, Holly. Thanks so much. It's great to be with you today. Great. Thanks for uh, joining us. So, um, VP of strategy and talent. Those are not two things that you hear combined often. Um, tell me, uh, tell me about a little bit about your organization and about the role that you hold. Sure. Yeah. Global Giving is a nonprofit that supports thousands of um, nonprofits around the world with funding and other resources to achieve their missions and drive positive social change. Um, And we've been around for about 20 years doing that. Um, We partner with companies and individuals. We take individual donations, et cetera, and help individuals and companies fund the causes that they care about. So we're sort of, you know, we help um, drive social change in in both of those ways. Um, As the VP of Strategy and Talent, um, I oversee really our uh, strategic planning and strategy execution and kind of a change and growth of the organization, um, and then also the HR function. And um, what's really been fun and interesting is that I have a traditional strategy background, um, did consulting and, and leadership roles, and I had always partnered with HR because if you're driving change in an organization, if you're thinking about culture, you're thinking about people, you're working with HR. And so back in 2020, I was asked to um, start leading HR in addition to strategy. And I immediately said, yes, I was super excited about it. And um, it's been really great. That's fantastic. So you've been doing the combined role um, for about three years. Yeah, and I actually started in right at, in 2021, um, a few days before January 6th uh, happened, So, which is a few blocks from our office. So it's been a really interesting ride. Well, tell me about that. Um, yeah, so I stepped into the HR role, and I, I don't have a traditional HR background again. I um, I don't have the certifications, but I worked and partnered with HR and done HR strategy before. Um, and, you know, we weren't all back to the office. We were still hybrid, but we did have an office and some people were coming in and a, a few blocks from the White House, um, just thinking, what have I gotten myself into, you know, right, being right. responsible? And I know your listeners know what it's been like to be an HR professional, particularly the past few years. Um, so it was really striking and, and kind of figuring out how to navigate that and work with my team um, uh, was quite a learning experience supporting our staff. Sure, sure. What are what are some lesson le- lessons learned um, from you know working so close to such uh, such sort of um, I don't know that we call it I don't you know a, an uprising if you will mm-hmm. um, you know such a you know tell me what what lessons were learned from um, that experience. Sure. I mean, I think there's a couple different things. One is, of course, um, your immediate concern is to make sure staff are safe to support them. We now um, are very upfront with staff that if you are in an ever in an unsafe place, feel free to take an Uber, feel free to do whatever you need to do. We'll reimburse you. We want you to be safe because we did actually have some people in the office that day and they needed to get out of there quickly. Um, so that was um, sort of informal and we've really formalized that. 
I think the other thing is um, it talks, it, it gets to your identity as an organization, your culture, your authenticity. So what do you say about what's going on? It's, it's, you know, how do you as an organization even talk about something when it's so present? Um, and, you know, all leaders are dealing with this now, right? But as we have social issues, how much do you talk about them? How much do you have a point of view? Um, and when that directly intersects with employees, physical safety and emotional safety, you know, it gets really complicated. But I think the lesson there is, being a little bit brave and bold to have a point of view um, and be able to be consistently consistent in sharing that with employees. Interesting. Um, So let's talk a little bit um, about employee engagement and sort of the double-sided role that you get to really um, lead uh, in your organization with engagement within your, the people who work at global giving, Mm -hmm. but also the byproduct of um, increased employee engagement through the, the work that you all do. Sure. Yeah. So um, employee engagement and culture, of course, are, are so essential. And again, um, for me thinking as a strategist and wanting to, in a social change organization, obviously we want to be constantly improving and growing our impact um, and our ability to do that is directly linked to our employee engagement, our employee experience, and our culture, right? Um, in addition, um, something that's really important to our employees, but really to all employees, is authenticity, right? So if we are doing something out in the world, are we doing that internally, right? So it's that that being being real and being transparent. Um, and so when we think about those things, um, I was sharing with you earlier that I saw some research recently that said that employees today, particularly millennials and Gen Z, are um, not only do they care about their organization or their company's values and what they're, are they doing good in the world, but even more specifically, a lot of individuals, the majority now see their work as the way to live out their values, mm-hmm. which in some ways is healthy because it's like you spend so much time at work, you know, so right. you you really you, you see that as the way to live those things out. Um, and then in addition, um, they want to individuals want to see not only that my organization is doing good work, but what am I doing and what am I doing within the organization um, and and being able to feel connected to that, to that mission directly. It really drives employee engagement. So you've said the word authenticity a few times and um I told you this is more of a casual conversation. Um, And uh, so we, um, my organization, the Mid-Atlantic Employers Association, puts on several conferences each year. And uh, we have a leadership conference that's coming up in a few weeks. And I'm running a panel on authentic leadership. Mm. And, you know, it's really sort of a, a, you know, a passion of mine, um, the idea of authentic leadership and authenticity that you sort of talked about there. And I found an article um, from 2003. And it's, uh, and if you can like think back to 2003 and sort of what we were doing and how we were working and, um, and this article, gosh, I wish I had my notes because it it literally says 
um, well, you can't bring your whole self to work. And there are pieces (laughs) that you have to leave behind because you don't share those things. And so talk to me about um, the change in the working environment with respect to bringing our whole selves to work and being authentic and, and how an organization needs to change or has needed to change to embody that? Mm-hmm. Um, I love that question. So I'll answer it in a couple of different ways. I think, first of all, I completely agree. I remember that time and I, you know, the shift that's happened has been so significant. I think um, if I start with nonprofits, I've worked both in nonprofits and in the corporate world. I started my career as a Peace Corps volunteer. I was a consultant at IBM. I've had just kind of a range of different experiences. And I will say that for nonprofits, it was um, always the case that to some degree, you're living out your values through your work, you know, because you're not doing it for the money, <laughs> certainly. Um but this idea of um, bringing your whole self to work, or uh, I think uh, as, as the nonprofit sector has shifted, there's really been a push and an evolution around, are we driving impact? Are we are we addressing the root causes of whatever challenge, social challenges we're facing? What are we really doing um, that's, that's making an impact? It can't just be charity, right? But mm-hmm. it's really about social change. And so the bar has gotten much higher for employees to say, what are we doing and externally? And then also, are we being honest and authentic internally? Um, So an example is that we talk about community-led change. We want communities to be in the driver's seat of change. Um, Are we then helping our staff be in the driver's seat of change within our own organization? Are we lifting up their voices? Are we listening to them, right? So that's an example of that evolution in the nonprofit side. What's interesting is that same in the corporate side, it's a different, uh, you know, it's kind of a different flavor, but it's the difference from, um, you know, I, if I'm coming to work and wanting to be authentic, be my, you know, really live my values now, how am I able to contribute to that change, that positive change in the world through my company? And that doesn't involve bringing your whole self to work to some degree, right? Because you're saying, I care about these social issues. I care about this change. And I want my company to be doing something about it. And that is such a shift from where we were, where work was work and life was life. It's it's just gotten so intertwined. It's fascinating. I say all the time, if I could go back to school and study one thing, and it changes all the time. But I do believe like the the sort of anthropological evolution of... I mean, I'm not, I'm not that old. I mean, I'm old, but I'm not that old. Right. And, and, and literally right before we started taping, I got a text message from one of my dearest friends who we were, we started working together 20 years ago, maybe a little more, I'm going to fake my age, but certainly in the late nineties. and he's gay and he couldn't, he didn't tell me Yeah, for seven years Yeah, because he was afraid. I was in HR. He was afraid he would lose his job. We had 25,000 employees where we worked. I was like, and I think about that now and I just got chills. I think about that now. And I tell my kids that story. They're like, what? Yeah. 
It is. It, just, it was in our recent memory to your. Yes. Point. Yeah. Yes. It was. You can't be yourself at work. Yes. Which was maybe why I hated working so much because I have a really hard time like not being myself. That's kind of an interesting topic, but I want to, I could go on for that for a really long time, but I do, um, I find that the, the, um, the raising up of voices is, you know, certainly I'd love the start of your organization, which was, and I'm sort of piecing together my, my limited research, but it was two people who worked at the world bank who said, we want to hear from everybody or anybody. So here's an opportunity for anybody to pitch their idea to be um, heard. And that's like a core of raising up voices, right? Of people who aren't heard. Mm -hmm. Um, And so tell me, maybe give me an example or give me something that your organization does to ensure that internal employees' voices are heard. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I will say, I want to be really honest and, and bring some humility to this. We are not nailing this yet, right? This is, it is such a change and such an evolution. Um, and also because global giving is going through its own evolution from a real startup culture, founder led, we're just trying to prove our business model. We have this great idea and we want to figure out how to pay for it, right? And make it work so that we can actually drive this social change in the world and get money to nonprofits. So taking that, transitioning from that to really, I'll call it a professionalization. Um, We work with hundreds of corporate partners, major donors, individuals. We do, you know, millions of dollars every year. That requires a different um, approach and sort of, you know, just some processes and standards and and things like that, um, that easily can lead you into a bureaucracy or a very top-down culture. Um, and so finding that balance um, and finding how are we making sure that we are, you know, not just doing employee surveys, but having those open channels for dialogue, um, having spaces for employees to share new ideas, um, that those kinds of things, um, we're still figuring it out, right? Um, and I think it's, uh, you know, doing, we try to do like participatory work. We do, we're very collaborative in terms of when we're coming up with new things, bringing people together and collaborating. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, we haven't figured it all out yet. You know, I, I love the honesty of that answer. And, um, I'm going to share a, um, I think it was the first interview we did with, uh, a leader of a, a global healthcare organization that had spun off from their parent company and um, created their own company. Um, I believe it was like February 15th of 2020. Mm. <laughs> so they have nothing. They're a brand new organization. There's thousands of people. And um, they were sort of developing their culture and developing their sort of pillars and COVID happened. And then um, the George Floyd murder happened and they were on a, they had nothing in place, you know, sort of like you said, we didn't have, we don't have things in place to deal with, you know, sort of a, a, a an unsafe or uprising or, you know, what do we do? 
Um, and they implemented, which I have kept in my back pocket, obviously, um, a an ask me anything kind of town hall, which mm-hmm. I thought was so interesting. Yeah. And it was just an opportunity for for people to just ask questions, try and understand values. Now that takes a you talk about being bold. I mean, for an executive team to get on a webinar in front of a whole company and say, ask me anything. Yeah. Is a very bold move, but um, it was so successful during sort of shutdown and, and the situation we were in, in the early, in early 2020, that they've kept it going. Mm -hmm. And they've, you know, three years later, they still do um, ask me anything. And it's sort of embedded now into part of their culture. Um, which was, I just thought that that was such an interesting, um, I'll, I'll, I'll suggest that to some companies that are like, are you crazy? (laughs) We've talked about it actually. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a new CEO who started, um, in January of this year. And that is definitely something that she has suggested that we might want to bring into, uh, into practice. I think the other thing that we're finding, and so this is based on, um, again, thinking about we're a nonprofit and we serve other nonprofits and we talk about lifting up community voices. Something that's interesting is that doing that well requires a degree of call it process, call it project management, call it right. Because what we also hear from our partners. So for example, if we're thinking about, you know, working with our community partners, We've asked them, you know, to what degree do you want to be involved in decisions that global giving is making, right? And, you know, same thing with staff, you ask them and it's like, we want to be heard, we want to be involved, but also we don't want you coming to us for everything. Like you're leaders, like we want, we want a way to give you input where we, we know that we will, you will ask for it. We will give you feedback and you will act on it we don't want you calling us every minute because we also have jobs to do, right? right? And so that's the interesting balance. When I talk about the evolution and the growth, we are going from a, you know, 20 person or 50 person organization to now we're over a hundred. It's like, you can't just be doing an employee survey every day and asking people everything. So how do you kind of set up it in a light touch way, those sort of processes and channels of feedback? That's been really interesting. So what are some things that you have done? Yeah, so um, we uh, we started doing some town halls, um, and but we really wanted them to be conversations, not just uh, one way. We ask a question, you give an answer, type of a thing. Um, and so we designed one of the things that we did um, part of our DEI, which we call Ready: Race, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, so. <laughs> We have, um, we've created a ready team, which is a number of staff members that are doing different, um, helping us advance different priorities that we've identified. One of the things that we did through that team is we trained that team members and a number of other staff members in leading difficult conversations. Um, So they have training as facilitators, which they used, we did a whole program about race, equity, diversity, and inclusion to build a baseline understanding for staff. Um, it, we thought it was important to have a shared language before we thought about even what are we going to do. But those facilitators serve us in different ways, right? And so those facilitators are available. And when we did these, the we've done a couple of town halls now, part of the town hall, and we're still learning, right? We're trying out different things, but part of the town hall is 
um, sort of a people submit questions, they upvote them, because that's another thing. There's an ask me anything approach, but we what we like to do is say, not just who is brave to ask the question, but you put your question in and then people can upvote it. So we see what is really, what do people oh, like that. want to know? We answer that, but then we go into these small group discussions where you have an executive team member, one of these trained facilitators, and a number of staff. And then we're asking staff for feedback on different things like our hybrid work, or they can ask questions, things like that. And then it's a facilitated conversation as opposed to an us versus them gotcha kind of a thing. And so it's about building that culture of of sharing and feedback. Yeah. Um I I love that. I, I I love the idea of, you know, not just the noisiest voice in the room being heard, right? But the yeah. one that most people want to hear as well. Yeah. Um so um, you know, you talked about, I want to talk about your um your ready program, but I but I also want to ask because one of the we talked about the changes of employees and sort of their interests and their, you know, really their demands um, in today's working environment. Another another sort of ask or request or requirement that is coming rapid fire to employers is develop me mm-hmm. and teach me. Yes. Um, and so, you know, you've talked about the um the teaching people to have critical and difficult conversations. Um, Talk to me about other kinds of development. How did you, how did you select those individuals? Did they self-select, you know, talk to Mm -hmm. me about a little bit about development and within your organization, especially as it's rapidly growing. And I would assume that you need people to take on greater challenges. Yep. Yep. So for that program, um, we had, so first we have this ready team, um, which is around, we had our inaugural ready team back in 2021, around eight people representing all different parts and identities, et cetera, in the organization. Um, and then, um, then the next ready team is comprised of kind of a new group. Um, so a lot of those individuals are also the f- trained facilitators. And yes, they went through a selection process. We had a nomination process. We did a selection process that was, we have a ready lead and myself and really looked at um, how do we get the right um, composition of folks, different skills, because you need people who have different skill sets um, for this work. And then also we invited other people to apply to be part, to be facilitators. And then we also, yes, we, we selected them and um, really looked again at their jobs, their career goals, um, their skill sets, et cetera, what would make sense. Um, so that's how that those groups were selected. They went through a rigorous training program, like nine hours um, together. And then they led these difficult conversations um, that reached all staff. That was I don't like to use the word mandatory, but basically mandatory. It was expected that you be there. Um, we need those. a better word. We need a new word. Yeah, because it's like, if you really can't go, I'm not going to, you know, <laughs> take it off of your performance review. So I don't like right. mandatory feels like compliance related, but very much it was expected. So that was part of our um, professional growth. The other thing is I totally agree with you on the professional development. Um, we've done, we have through our PEO and Sparity 
we have um, staff have up to $1,500 that they can use towards continuing education, things like that. In addition, we've added this year, we increased it to $1,000, $1,000 of professional development funds that you can use, you know, it's between you and your manager that you can use in any way that you want to. And then um, we found that not everyone was using all of theirs. So then we're working with managers and leaders to make sure they're on top of that. So then they can reallocate funds. So if somebody only needs 300, that's an extra bit. How do they make sure that that gets to someone who needs more? So really trying to support our leaders in supporting their staff um, in their professional development. My um, co-host, who is um, uh, having another interview, she uh, tells the story all the time, uh, or not all the time, but I, I, it's one of those things in my back pocket in my mind, which is uh, her son is a uh, was a college lacrosse player and is a you know a very um, uh, he's in the military. Anyway, he, a very successful individual. And he says, um, mom, I never lose. To which she said, oh boy. And um, he said, I either win or I learn something. Mm -hmm. And so tell me about a time that you maybe um, something maybe didn't go as planned, but you learned something. Um, it's funny because we have four values and one of them is listen, act, learn, repeat, repeat, I saw <laughs> learn and then repeat, listen, act, learn. And so we start, we start with listening. We start with looking for data, understanding what people need, take an action. You learn from it, as you said. And so we do, it's hard to embrace failure, especially in social change, but anywhere, right? You don't want to make mistakes that are going to harm others, harm your organizations you're working with, et cetera. So it's tough. Um, but we do try to embrace that fail fast mentality, learn something. And then we talk a lot about L-A-L-R, that value, listen, act, learn, repeat. Um, gosh, there have been a number of areas that I would say we have, you know, not gotten quite right. And, um, and, and me personally as well. Um, I'm like, what can I share? Some of them are in the HR space. So it's, uh, you know, it's difficult to, right. you want to be careful about how, how you're framing them. Um, I might need a little more time to think about that. Cause I want to, sure. there's so many, and I want to give you a good example. <laughs> I mean, that's what I, you know, somebody said, well, I've never failed in my life. I said, Oh, come over here, honey. I have done it my whole life. In multiple different settings and different ways, I can teach you a lot of things. <laughs> I, I feel like it's it's like every day. I mean, man, I yeah, yeah. Certainly, I have two. Um, I have a wealth of examples. <laughs> um, so, Actually, you know what? I will share one. Oh, okay. One. Um, in this race, equity, diversity, and inclusion work. Um, it's funny. It goes back to this idea of authenticity that we've talked about. When we kicked off that work, we said um, we need to start. So we want to think about equity in our programming and how are we making sure that nonprofit partners have access to us? Access is not equal, you know, things like that. So we need to think about our programs. But before we do that, let's talk about ourselves. Let's get ourselves right. Let's focus on, again, how are we, what are we doing um, internally for our own staff, are we driving diversity? Are we being equitable? Are, do staff feel included? 
Um, and again, we have race in there explicitly because it needs to be. We're in America. Um, and so when we um, we had a lot of appetite to do a lot of things and we partnered with staff, we had this ready group and they worked on um, with the executive team and the organization to define our future state goals for ready. And we talked about how, um, how some of them will take a long time to achieve, but we have to start somewhere. And where are we going to start? And um, we bit off way more than we could chew and because people had a lot of enthusiasm and we wanted to do all these things. And, you know, um, we didn't quite have the resources with everything else going on. We didn't quite have the resources to do all the things that we wanted to do. Myself personally, we didn't have an executive sponsor. This is not an expertise area for me. I shouldn't have, and I didn't have bandwidth because I'd just taken on all these other things. Um, I said, I'll do it. I really should not have. Um, and so learning from that. And so what then ended up happening is things we weren't progressing or we weren't progressing as quickly as I think people had hoped. Mm. And that's really hard for staff when you have staff members that say, I'm hurting right now. I don't feel included. I don't feel, I mean, as a leader, you never, ever want to hear that. Right. And so then they're feeling that way and they're saying, we're not, why aren't you guys prioritizing this? Why aren't you making enough progress? And right. so that was a huge lesson in sort of right-sizing um, our aspirations versus our resource reality and um, making sure that we're being honest about what we can achieve. Uh, I'm actually going to write that down. You said aspirations versus resource reality. Yeah. You might want to trademark that. I really I like that. That was, it was very, um, that was a very visual statement. So one of the things you just mentioned, you know, an employee, um, you know, feeling, you never want your employees feeling like left, you know, like I, I can't do this. Um, you talk about uh, providing support from, uh, this is another thing we've never talked about in work, which is, which are things like mental health and burnout. Yeah. And you specifically work with um, an an organization uh, to support your people with respect to nonprofit burnout. Talk to yes. me about that. Yeah. So we did that program last year, actually. Um, and we've used this organization in a couple of different ways. But let me talk about the burnout for a minute. Um, we actually talk about burnout. We also talk about compassion fatigue. So we have individuals, again, we're responding to humanitarian crises when they hit constantly. And, and we're available, again, to help donors and companies, you know, respond as well. Mm -hmm. But that's a very always on 24-7 um, cycle. And the, the reason we're able to do that is because we have these thousands of vetted partners around the world. You can imagine if a crisis hits in your community and you're a nonprofit, it doesn't matter if your mission is actually X you're responding to that disaster because you exactly. have networks and relationships and what have you. So disaster hits, we're immediately in touch with the partners that we know and also seeing, are there other partners we should be helping? Because we're good at mobilizing those resources and we want to get them to the ground. We don't want them to sit in a bureaucracy. We want to get them out to you and you tell us what you need and we'll get you money for it, right? So that's great. It's also so exhausting, right? For those people who are on those front lines or who are doing the marketing for it, writing the stories, doing the interviews. 
Um, and we have compassion fatigue. We, we suffer from it um, every day or we're hearing of even not in a disaster context. The disaster one is most acute, but even partners, I get emails at daily from people begging for help, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, we worked with uh, this, this organization um, called Relovution. And um, they did some workshops on compassion fatigue and burnout, but then um, initially, but then last year, what we did is we, over a period of a number of months, we partnered with them. They offered um, counselors that were available. We made it really easy. It was already paid for. So I, as an employee, could pop onto the website and look at the counselors that were available. And um, they're really coaches and and they're not therapists, but really coaches that, and they're good at this compassion fatigue and other things. And I could say, hmm, that one looks like the right one for me, or that one um, looks like they specialize in my identity, whether it's, you know, any type of marginalized identity, or they uh, are specific to my location, what have you, pop on, set up a Zoom session and do a couple sessions with them. Um, And that was really popular. And we got very positive feedback um, from staff um, on that program. So that was great. Wow. That's so interesting. A coach at the ready. (laughs) Yeah. Because, you know, one of the biggest challenges with mental health and burnout is you're exhausted and the process of finding, I mean, we have an EAP, we have those things, but it's like jumping through 17 hoops. You just give up. Right. So big part of it was making it real easy. Yeah. And, um, yes, that, that is the, the, um, the challenge that we found when we, as, you know, sort of leaders said, oh, we have an EAP. Do you know what your EAP provides? Like basically nothing. (laughs) Right. And that was a real, that was a real, um, another big change that organizations had to face, like, we think we're providing something that's helpful and it's not. And we didn't hear about that until it was safe to say I'm struggling and I can't get help. And um, yeah, that's, that's, you know, really empowering your staff to be able to reach out and help, you know, I was, sitting here thinking about disaster relief and I'm thinking about the fires in uh, Maui. And then I'm like, well, and then yesterday the f- floods in Greece and it's, it's just, and it's then like, oh, and here and here and here, and it's just constant, you know, and uh, I'm outside of the Philadelphia area, not a big weather zone. Yeah. And um, last year around this time, actually. Um, in fact, I got some memory of it recently. We had a crazy storm, crazy storm. And we actually had a tornado that went through. It was probably like the smallest tornado you could imagine. Yeah. And a roof was ripped off a of school. Our favorite like family restaurant was destroyed. Yeah. It didn't open again for six months or something like that. And I'm like, and this was an itty bitty challenge. Yeah. But it's not itty bitty when you're suffering from it. No, absolutely. Oh, it it's I can imagine what you all see at certain times and um, you know, the work that your organization does and you know, um appreciate very much people who do um 
sort of put their money where their mouth is and work within their passions. Um, You know, I have a really, actually, I don't know if if we have time, but I have a really nice story um, that I really appreciate on those lines. So, you know, I talked about how we're so committed to working with really community-based local organizations that are really responsive to their community. However, it could be the physical community, like the, the location they're serving, or community can also mean um, female sex workers in India, or right, it can mean different things. But one beautiful example was there was flooding in Sierra Leone, um, in Freetown. And um, the, uh, an organization worked with women, it was very small, they, they had 100 clients that they worked with women who were trying to, you know, start businesses, get themselves out of poverty. When this flooding happened, they reached out to these women, and they said, um, what do you need? And the women said, honestly, our mattresses were ruined. We can't sleep. We don't have a place for our kids to sleep. Um, we need new mattresses. And that's a couple thousand dollars that we were able to mobilize. But to your point, it's life-changing for a woman who's just trying to get by, trying to help her kids and needs a safe and you know clean place to sleep. Yeah. So it's like little things like that, being able to be part of an organization that's able to do things like that is wonderful. And then it is also very exhausting, you know? Yes, exactly. Um, so, you know, parting message, um, Your most of our audience are, um, you know, HR professionals who are, you know, developing their careers. What um, What would you say to somebody starting out in the field of HR, which is mm. not what your background is in, but right. certainly where your um, lens is focused and yeah. where you make a lot of impact today. What would you say? Well, I think it's an incredible time to be in HR. I mean, certainly when I started my career, um, HR was like a dirty word, right? Oh, yeah. It's funny because I think I took one of those tests in college, like, what should you do? And one of them said HR. And I was like, oh, I'm not doing that, right? I'm studying economics. I'm doing strategy. I was very, you know, not- My test said I should be a banker. And yeah, exactly. Like, right. if I could show you, like, the dollar bills that are spread on my desk right yeah. now, <laughs> I'm the worst person with money in the world. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, right. Um, so I, I want to be clear. It's also the hardest time to be in HR because yeah. some of the things we've talked about, I mean, the employee expectations are through the roof. We, we can't possibly meet all of them. But this linkage that I talked about between strategy and talent and HR is it is so real to me. I see it every single day. So if any organization that you are in is trying to change and adapt and grow. And they have a strategy to do that. And the way that that strategy gets carried out is through its people, right? There is just, there's no two ways about it. And so um, being able to then be at that table and be part of that conversation, we're seeing more and more that HR is at that table and part of that conversation is so exciting. Um, And so if I had any advice to, you know, people that are just starting out would be to own that. Don't let people put you in some box. There's a lot of HR work that has to be done that's administrative, that's, you know, responsive or reactive. But be able to go grab that seat at the table, step up, talk about that linkage between strategy and people, and then have ideas and be there to promote um, what can be best done for people to execute strategy. I love that. 
how can we as an organization support our people to execute on this strategy? It's a perfect question, right? Um, what a pleasure, Jenny. Thank you so much for um, sharing this time with us. And um, I really have enjoyed the conversation. And um, yeah, thanks. Thank you so much, Holly. It's been wonderful. Hi, I'm Holly. And I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. The Better People Podcast is brought to you by MEA. At the Mid-Atlantic Employers Association, we help organizations and their people grow through HR-driven business solutions. Find out more at meainfo.org or in the show notes.